K-U-C-I, the cooch, cooch, the cooch, cooch. K-U-C-I, the cooch, cooch, the cooch, cooch. K-U-C-I, the cooch. Naked comedy. How are you doing? Are you working this week or are you on vacation? Um, I just got back into New York. Uh, I was on vacation, and uh, so I'm doing a bunch of spots. I got the UCB in New York uh, this week. And then, yeah, I'm pretty much in New York till after the holidays, and then I go to San Francisco for Sketchfest and Chicago. But, yeah, I'll be in New York until then, which is, like, kind of vacation to me just because um, – you know, the the main reason I can make a living is because other countries like comedy more than uh, we do. <laughs> so as long as I'm like not out of the country, like even if I'm working every day in New York, like I still consider that a vacation just because I'm not on the other side of the planet, you know? <laughs> well, for listeners who don't know, this is Jamie Kilstein. He's a comedian um, and he does all sorts of, all sorts of fun stuff. But um International, internationally doing comedy. Um, I've been listening to your albums because we get, I, I get albums from Stand Up Records, and every time I got oh, one, cool. of, one of yours, I was like, I love this guy. This guy's crazy. And um, <laughs> actually, the the main thing that got me, like, I've been, I've been thinking, like, oh, I need to call this guy. I need to like get him on the show. Like, you know, you, you forget and blah, blah blah. But then the thing that actually made me send the email was in your new album, and um, the fact that you did a track that pretty much is the thing that cannot be played on the radio you know which oh. track i'm talking about yeah i think so there was some debate about that <laughs> uh is it the, the 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 president one yeah yeah no but that oh. just that just sealed it i was like if he's gonna put that out that's there's no way i can't continue this show without having him on there that is so <laughs> that is well, the I, best. I, i'm glad i'm glad someone's now talked about it on the radio so that we know if i disappear uh it's because of that please <laughs> contact news agencies yeah i don't know you know it, it was it was I, I don't know why i don't know why i did that it's so hard to even talk about it on your radio show without <laughs> getting you in trouble um well it only but, airs on the air once and then it's a podcast and i think everything goes on a podcast Ah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's just it. Let's see. We can still talk about it without talking about it. Um, <laughs> it upset me that, like, all right, so I talk a lot about politics. And a lot, you know, I never realized the term political comedian has such a negative, hokey connotation to it. Um, and I think a lot of times when people think of political comics, they think of, like, a dude in the suit who's, like, very schlocky, and, like, he comes up with, like, the newspaper, and he's like, George Bush, like, Bush, like a vagina, and, like, just really hokey stuff like that. And, you know, it, it sort of upset me where things were so bad under George Bush. Yeah, I really didn't have any George Bush jokes except for that, uh, <laughs> that uh, abysmal track. Um, and it, it just made me so mad that there were so many serious issues going on so you know i mean you had uh, like we relied into war like that's big um and the torture the the civil liberty violations the the recession which was caused under him uh the the, the failure uh someone said a racist failure uh from hurricane katrina you had all these massive issues like you know each issue alone was an impeachable uh, offense. Yeah. And the best thing that comedians could do, 
a lot of comics. I mean, there was obviously some amazing, like, social commentary from, like, Garoppolo and David Cross and people like that. But uh, anything that was on TV, the mainstream stuff, was just about how, like, he talks funny and about how, like, his daughters are, you know, teenagers, girl, teenage girls. Like, it was just, like, the, the most trite, simplistic material that if, if not about anybody else, no one would give it. I, I can't curse, right? <laughs> It, you can curse. I think I can't oh, curse, I, but you can curse. I've, I've been stuttering this whole time. <laughs> but no one would give a shit. Nobody. If, if, if somebody was, you know, was just like, hey, my friend Bob talks funny. They'd be like, fuck you. Get off this. Who cares? And I'm like, that's what you can come up with for the most powerful person in the world. And I was just so, I was so upset that people weren't outraged. And, you know, not because I think that every comedian should talk about politics. But I feel like people who were kind of going those really cheap routes with George Bush wanted just to have a political joke in their repertoire. They're just kind of, you know, the comedians who are like, I need to be diverse. So I need a joke about my parents and I need a joke about my ethnicity and I need one political joke and an impression to close the whole show. And I'm going to be at Comedy Central. (laughs) And it's just like it's not about filling up a quota for your stand-up act. So I feel like if you're going to talk about politics, you know, talk about something that matters. Like, people forget that, you know, back a long time ago, uh, comedy was really used as for dissent. I mean, it, it was this kind of underground outlet where people would go to hear guys and girls who had microphones and who would actually talk about things that they were afraid to talk about. I just, um, I did this week up in Toronto at, like, I guess it would be the equivalent of our improv. It's mm. called Yuck Yucks, oh, which yeah. makes the club sound infinitely worse than it is. It was phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, and the the owner, we, we went out to dinner one night, and he phrased it, I, I, if I were to give this answer, I would go on for 10 minutes and ramble and digress and become redundant. But he <laughs> made it so succinct. It was really beautiful. Where he said, when he started back in the 70s in the, the stand-up business, audience members came to comedy clubs to be challenged. And he goes, now they come to be reassured. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that was like a beautiful, unfortunate, but beautiful and succinct way to put it. Because I've, I've watched audiences in New York and the South and everywhere. Um, I've watched audiences, and a lot of times when they watch observational comedians, who they're amazing comedians. Again, I'm not, like, you know, trashing that. <laughs> but when they watch observational comedians, um, it's so bizarre when they start laughing at the setup because, again, they recognize it. So, mm-hmm. like, I was watching one of my friends, and he was doing, like, a joke about, I don't know, Pepsi or something. Mm-hmm. And the second he's, like, he mentioned Pepsi. Like, do you guys drink Pepsi? The place went apeshit. Like, it was like Freebird, where, like, I saw, like, I was watching, and I was just shocked. I was watching couples elbow each other. And they're like, Pepsi! And, like, they had that moment where they were like, I drink Pepsi, so this joke must have been written for me. And I feel like audiences now, and you can kind of compare it, this could be a stretch, but you could sort of compare it to, like, the, the the modern day Republican philosophy, which is if you look at like Sarah Palin and like a lot of these mainstream Republicans, their main platform is you're not doing anything wrong. Don't let these liberals tell you 
that your cars are too big. Don't let them tell you that you shouldn't eat meat. Don't let them tell you that you shouldn't hunt. Don't let them tell you that, you know, you have to give your hard-earned money to these poor black people. Um, everything you're doing is right. I mean, that was pay- that, that's why she was so popular. I mean, she was such an idiot, but she was so popular because she was just telling people you're right. And I feel like the same kind of transfers over to stand-up, where you look at, like, a lot of these just really simple, hacky comedians that are getting on TV, and they're doing really well. Um, and I think it's just because people know the punchline first, mm-hmm. and it makes them feel smart. Or they've heard a premise similar to this, which, you know, to us who are so familiar with comedy, we're like, well, that's hacky or, yeah. or stolen. But to them, you know, the fact that they know where it's going is that excites them. That's mm-hmm. the mainstream audience. I mean, that's what's so great about this alternative pushback because you go to UCB and they're so comedy savvy that, you know, and there are a ton of other clubs around, uh, around the country that are like this as well. Um, but they're so comedy savvy that I feel like it's, you know, r- riskier at the UCB to tell, uh, you know, white people can't dance joke or, <laughs> you know, my girlfriend doesn't suck my dick, like, or just horrible stuff. I think if you told a joke like that, it may kill on live at Gotham. But I think if you did it uh, at UCB, you would see a bunch of very, very angry hipsters. <laughs> That's definitely one of the one of the reasons I started doing this show. I actually worked at one of the mainstream comedy clubs, and it just was so frustrating that most of the people that went there, yeah, probably wouldn't ever want to perform for or do stuff for because it was in a mall and they were just like, hey, we had Cheesecake Factory, what do we do while we're digesting? Let's go see comedy. Like, some it's shit all, like that. It, is, it always comes down to the Cheesecake Factory. It always you're, comes down, it's, it's the Cheesecake totally Factory right. is pretty, totally much, right. <laughs> pretty much the basis for most mainstream comedy audiences. And so I wanted to do a show where I was like, okay, the reason these people are coming out to see these guys because they're the only ones on TV. So maybe one day I can see a day when, like, really good people are on TV and maybe the Cheesecake Factory people will watch them and possibly enjoy them. That's my dream for the future. But um, I, I, I totally think I, I think there's so much to what you just said. <laughs> where uh, a couple of reasons um, in London, I'm not trying to be that awful like <laughs> I do international kid who comedy. like I know like <laughs> who like studies abroad for a semester and he's like, well, let me tell you how we do it in Scotland. Um, but over there, so uh, my first spot was taped in London for the show called The World Stands Up, right? Mm-hmm. And the producer, and it airs here, but like a much heavy, uh, it's much more censored over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we taped it in London, and you know, there are, it's this really interesting combination of like mainstream comics on the show, and then you know, a couple people who were clearly selected to kind of fuck with things, <laughs> and. You know, I'm really nervous. And I'm, I'm so nervous. Like, I literally thought when we got there that they could still tell me, like, to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I thought it was going to be a mistake or they were going to find out, like, it was the wrong Jamie or, like, just someone else with, like, a Dewey <laughs> last name. Like, I was just, like, I was convinced there was no way it was going to happen. And so we go to do this warm-up show before the TV spot. And the warm-up show, it was at this, like, really bizarre it, uh, in London, there's a comedy club that's like on like a golf course, and it was like creepily white. Like you know when you go to like a <laughs> suburb and you're like, this is uncomfortably white. 
Like it was, it was that where you were, where you were like kind of wondering, like, is there a rule about who can come here? <laughs> and, and so it was just like kind of not my scene. And I think I had to go up after like Joe Coy, who's like really likable and really mainstream and just killed and and, and he sets it up hurt. as like a dirty kind of like ooh, it's gonna be dirty and edgy but still really fun and we can all relate to it he's a good guy right. but right. very right. different kind of like very different kind of edgy than like your kind of edgy yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that, that was a great way to put it and uh and so I I find out from my my old my old manager screwed up and thought I was only supposed to do eight minutes on the on the show um, but it turns out, and I found out this day, that they wanted me to tape for two episodes. So that minus a couple minutes, or that plus a couple minutes that I would have to cut out, they wanted me to do like a 20-minute set. <laughs> and e- even though they don't censor you per se, there's still a lot of stuff I couldn't do. So I'm like writing this like last-minute freak-out thing uh, set, and I go on stage, and I'm about like 18 in. And I realized I have no more jokes that I can do. <laughs> and so as like a goof, I have this one really cheesy, it's such a dumb joke, but I, I have this one one-liner that I like, I set it up like it's going to be like a hacky relationship joke. And all I say is, uh, I said some, uh, God, I haven't done this in so long. I said something like, uh, you go, I have a girlfriend, everybody. And the audience is like, woo. And then I go, and uh and the best part about having a girl uh, about my girlfriend is she only gets her period once a year, and they're like, "Ah!" And then I go, "Which is great, uh, but the downside is we have to get a lot of abortions." And then I, I try to deliver it in that very hacky, like, "Am I right, fellas?" And usually the audience is like, um, But I did that, and it went surprisingly well. And right after I did it, I got really nervous because I realized the producer was watching me and he probably thought that was the set I was going to do on TV. <laughs> so I go to leave and I'm like, fuck, like I just got myself fired and like, or this is it, he's going to send me back. Because I was really convinced if I had a bad warm up set at this pseudo racist golf club, like I would be off the show. <laughs> and so I go, to, uh, I go to, to leave and the producer runs up to me. And uh, he's like, I have to talk to you. And I'm like, this is it. It's over. And he, I swear to you, he looked at me and he goes, if you don't do that abortion joke on the TV show, we're not going to pay you. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Like, that was the opposite of what any producer here would tell you. And so what ends up happening over there is a lot of these places will encourage you to be edgy and they don't censor you. And you know, there are actually a couple of UK comics who have just made their way over here who are really edgy. Uh, Jim Jeffries and Glenn Wool and uh, Brendan Burns and this guy Reginald B. Hunter. And they're huge over there and they're on every TV show and they are super controversial. And so what happened was exactly what you kind of hypothesized, which is you show smart, edgy comedy on the TV and then people who like that brand of comedy will go out to comedy clubs. Hi, this is DJ Intern Sam, host of Naked Comedy. I hope you're enjoying the podcast currently in progress, made by hosts like me, college students just trying to make a good show for people to listen to that is hopefully engaging and alternative to what they might find at other radio stations. Um, I hope that you are enjoying the um, bare-bones, amazing, passionate feel that goes into every show of KUCI. 
And if you'd like to continue to see shows like this uh, continue in their fashion without having to succumb to the demands of the man, like, you know, learning how to speak proper radio lingo or etc., <laughs> um, please consider donating at KUCI.org slash donations. We could really appreciate it, and it will your donations will go towards allowing people like me who have trouble continuing one straight sentence into a microphone have shows and have the opportunity to get to people like you, our awesome listeners. So thanks again for listening to this podcast, and I will return you to a much better worded interview already in progress yay that's what i don't get about like the like corporations or whatever is that like we people who are into these like you know the hipsters the alternative people the everybody who's like not mainstream we're still americans we'll still buy whatever you put out there if it panders to us we will still buy it so it's like okay there's this big audience that's gonna go see jeff dunham is gonna do all that stuff like that but there's also us like we have money we probably have more money and like right now we're like you know just throwing it at donations and throwing it at like poor people and shit they could be capitalizing on us they're just missing out yeah i mean i think i by the way i was wondering who would uh use jeff dunham's voice or jeff dunham's name with contempt first me or you you literally just beat me to it um yeah i mean i think you know i i i got to briefly talk to seth mcfarlane once uh who is a creative like family guy and stuff and he i asked him about you know getting all those liberal things out on fox you know, because Rupert Murdoch owns Fox News as yeah. well, which is obviously very right wing. And she's like, all that dude cares about is money. <laughs> you know, I mean, The Simpsons is like the most heartfelt show ever. And it's had tons of liberal episodes and really like Lisa's a vegetarian for Christ's sake. Like yeah. they, had a, they had a really good pro-gay marriage episode. So it doesn't give a shit. Murdoch doesn't give a shit because it just makes them money. Um, I sort of disagree. I, I disagree a little bit with, you know, rich hipster. I know a lot of my audience is very, very poor. They're yeah. like <laughs> artists and stuff. And like, I've had to lie at many mainstream comedy clubs <laughs> and just be like, yeah, it's, I'm from here. Like my family's coming. And I just like, would like get in like droves of like 17 year old, my face. <laughs> and they're like, your family is a bunch of different ethnicities. I'm like, we are accepting. Uh, but you know, so I, 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 I mean, comedy club, it's not a good bargain. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I'm vehemently against my employers. Like, <laughs> to go pay 15 to $25 for a ticket, and then on top of that, to have to buy two drinks. I mean, anywhere, first of all, where your, your staple of income is booze. Yeah. It doesn't really have, you know... Uh, artistic written all over it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and, and then they jack up all of the drink prices. So it's not like you can buy like two, like three or four dollar beers. They have just these ridiculous, uh, you know, names of shrinks. So like they'll double the price, but <laughs> give it like a wacky comedy club name. I mean, you get ten dollars. You can for ten dollars more. You can get it in the comedy club glass. You can take home. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's sparkles and has a picture of Melbourne. Like, it's just, it's the silliest, silliest thing ever. And, you know, it, it's not, 
worth it. And, and, and the thing is, smart comedy fans are usually smart people. And mm-hmm. I think that they, you know, I, I feel like the audience for a lot of comics would wouldn't be caught dead at a comedy club yeah. because they like you said they see them in malls well i think like they... when it comes to like monetizing off of the alternative audience like you can't i'm not saying you have to, we would do we would buy the same things that mainstream like whatever is being sold to mainstream audiences we would buy but like what i'm thinking of right now like just right now is um in LA UCBLA for Comedy Death Ray which Scott Ackerman does they every Christmas they have a giant Christmas show and they do um an auction on eBay um and all oh, the wow. proceeds go to the um crap a food like homeless shelter food I'm really a horrible person right now but they, it all goes to charity and um they just get all these people you know LA comedians and actors to donate stuff and um the prices are amazing like Matt Walsh one of the you know original UCB founders yeah, yeah. he auctioned off a 3 hour private improv class and it started wow. at like 50 bucks and it closed at $910 oh, and that was just shit. like one of like 30 things like nothing there went for less than a hundred dollars like i was would have bid on that i was nuts it's amazing like i was trying to bid on um there was one for zach galifianakis it was like perform with zach galifianakis and like it comes down to the last minute it's like 107 okay i'll do 110 i don't have the money but whatever and in like those 10 seconds it jumped up to like 250 i was like damn it stupid rich comedians but like that's what i mean like that that must have raised at least like three thousand dollars if not more in like just two weeks of having shit on eBay, you know, like signed, like, you know, the short shorts from Reno 911, like signed right. kids in the hall, like nothing really big, but like it, people paid for it. Like that's, well, you know, you know why people could pay for it? Cause they don't spend their money going to awful comedy clubs here. <laughs> they just all put it in the end. So you don't have to go to every show, every, whatever you can just like go to every little show, build it up, build it up. And then like capitalize at the end of the year. There's a marketing strategy here. I mean, also, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's one of those things, too. Like, UCB is a really good example where a lot of the performers don't make money when they're there. Yeah. And and, and that's not not necessarily a a bad thing. Like, you know, maybe old Jamie who wasn't making was a bad thing. But, you know, I, I don't think it is, especially when you look at something like, 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 like what they just did with Comedy Death Like, that's amazing. And you look at, you know, ASCAT, the major comedy clubs will be half full on a Sunday night yeah. in New York City with maybe 30 or 40 people. And ASCAT will have lines around the block. For yeah, the same seven. here. Same and here. It, and it's just, it's so refreshing. Well, I really thought stand-up was dead. And then you go to a place like UCB and it's just like, okay, it's still around. And, you know, these are artists who are willing to do shows for free. Yeah. Uh, just so that this audience, uh, this younger generation of comedy fans can pay five bucks yeah. or can get in for free or can pay $10 of the absolute most. Yeah. And what's and, really cool for the performers is that like this, like finally, I don't know if this has been, you know, like a five-year plan or whatever, but I feel like recently it's really become like, if you do these shows and you really hone your act, you will get a paying job. Like, you know, Aziz Ansari, the whole, like, human giant guys, like, they all have different projects going on. Everybody who's been performing, doing their stuff, you know, just plugging along at UCB is 
getting recognized like it's not it's not even like you know for those comedians who are like I don't have the money like I just gotta like make the money like whatever it's not even like that it's like you have this we're in a weird time where as a performer you can work on your act in front of people who will appreciate you know no matter how developed it is they'll appreciate it and somebody in the business will appreciate it too like you can get a job from that like totally I mean you know two things on that they to me, anyone who complains and is like, I'm not going to get paid. First of all, it is far more <laughs> insulting to me to do a regular pro spot at any of these clubs in New York City and see the exorbitant uh, amounts of money they're making from drinks, just alone, with no cover, just drinks, and getting paid $25 as opposed to going to UCB, where, yeah, they have a bar in the back where they sell, like, PBRs or they sell cheap beer, and it, it was either 5 bucks or free. I think both the shows at UCB I'm doing this week in New York are free. And, and not getting paid anything, but getting to, again, be in front of an appreciative audience, getting to know that you just, you know, gave his whole audience of young kids, like, free stand-up. Um, it's more insulting, these places that pay, because it's, like, $25, Really? Like with the amount of fucking money you're making? Like that's insane. I would so much rather do it for free at a place I respect. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, with Aziz and, and, and Rob and Paul and the Human Giant guys, which w- w- what else is really cool about UCB is it's not like a bunch of like, there's always like a couple of young comics who anytime you talk about comedy, it always comes down to how do I how do I make money? And, yeah. and, and you just want to be like, no, it's about the art and developing your voice. And they're like, right, how do I develop my voice to make money? And you're like, all right, not what it's about. Um, so for the few people who were listening and they're like, ah, oh, I just performed at UCB. Um, it, it's not, you know, I think the reason they made it is, A, yeah, you're right. The business has become more savvy to UCB and alternative comedy. But I think the reason they've become more savvy is because, UCB, it, it just it nurtures talent and it just makes you better. But like I said, the audience isn't going to let you get away with uh, being hacky. Uh, you have a, a big repeat audience, so you're going to have to constantly be writing new material. I think the show I'm doing tomorrow night, I just did like uh, maybe two weeks ago, and I'm like, I have to write a new like seven minutes. So that's great. And it just forces you to be good. And, you know, I mean, Rob and Paul have been improvising there for a long time, like a really long time. And, and, and they just kind of, you know, I feel like once you're in that family, you just get on stage so much. And when you're getting on stage so much in front of <clears throat> such a good comedy savvy audience, you're just going to get undeniably good. Hi, this is DJ Intern Sam, host of Nikki Comedy. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. I go through a lot of work trying to make the interviews awesome-ish, and I'm glad that you have chosen to download it. You can also listen to my full show, which includes tracks from awesome new and hidden gem comedy albums, as well as fun guest call-ins and surprises and all sorts of wackiness that we can't put on a podcast. It's every Wednesday night, midnight to 2 a.m. on KUCI.org slash Naked Comedy. Thanks so much for listening to my little spiel, and I will return you now to the interview already in progress. Yay. 
Naked comedy.